Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Edward Albee was one of the greatest American playwrights of his generation. He won the Pulitzer Prize three times over a career that spanned nearly 60 years. His most famous play was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? The play opened on Broadway in 1962. It continues to be revived and was adapted into the film starring Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. I actually fell for him. And the match seemed practical, too. For a while, Daddy really thought that George minute, had the Martha. stuff to take over when he was Wait ready minute, to retire. Martha. And we both thought that naturally... Stop it, Martha. When Albie died last year, he left a will with an unusual provision that is somewhat controversial. According to the New York Times, the will contains a provision that any unfinished manuscripts be destroyed. Joining us is Lior Strahilovists, a professor at the University of Chicago Law School. Lior, there's even a term for an artist requesting the destruction of unfinished work in a will, dead hand control. How unusual is it? Well, it's not the typical artist who wants to do this, but certainly over the course of literary history and um, the history of visual artists, we've seen this come up time and time again. Uh, I think the first known historical example is actually Virgil's Aeneid, and obviously, um, uh, you know, we have this recent example of Edward Albee, but um, Brett Weston, the photographer, uh, had similar motivations and similar expressed wishes. And maybe the most famous case prior to this one is Franz Kafka uh, directing his executor, Max Broad, to burn unread all of his unfinished works. And those unfinished works included not only his diaries, which were subsequently published, but also The Trial and The Castle, which are considered to be Kafka's two greatest uh, novel novels. So, Lior, you, you mentioned that, that Kafka's, uh, some of Kafka's works were published. Uh, is, is it unusual for executors to disregard the instructions in a will to destroy unfinished work? It's not terribly unusual, and I think one reason why is uh, there's not really a lot of um, court guidance on this issue. So this does come up from time to time. It comes up with famous artists, but uh, there's really not a lot of appellate cases, published opinions, where courts are either telling executors that they cannot uh, or that they can destroy works of this kind. You'll find uh, dicta in the occasional case where a court will suggest that where the public's interest in seeing a work of art is uh, significant enough, then the will can be disregarded. But dicta is about the closest is about the closest you'll get. You generally don't have these cases litigated. And one reason you don't have these cases litigated is there's not usually any party that wants to show up in court and argue on behalf of destruction. So the artist might have preferred that the works be burned or uh, or thrown out. But usually the heirs see the value of publication and not a whole lot of value in 
giving voice to the words that showed up in the last will and testament. And so my instinct is, from looking at the cases and really the absence of cases, that a lot of the time what happens is these things get written into wills, and then the heirs maybe decide um, that uh, that they'd like to see destruction not happen. The executor doesn't particularly want to set something that might have significant market value on fire, and uh, everyone sort of goes away goes away happy. Uh, you just might have an artist spinning in her, his or her grave. The provision in Albee's will says, if at the time of my death I shall leave any incomplete manuscripts, I hereby direct my executors to destroy such incomplete manuscripts. His final known play, Laying an Egg, was scheduled for production twice and withdrawn twice by Albee, who said it wasn't ready. Might the executors decide that it is not an incomplete manuscript? I think they've got a lot of room to do so under the will. And in fact, I think the way the will was drafted, there's actually some ambiguity based into it. So you read that first clause, which um, uh, is as you describe it. It says if it's incomplete, then the directors, the executors are to destroy it. But then there's actually a, a final sentence in that third clause, the destructive provision. And that sentence says, the determination by my executors in their best fiduciary judgment as to the material directed to be destroyed in this Article Third shall be final, conclusive, and binding upon all parties having any interest in my estate. And the way I read the will, that last sentence is actually in some tension with the first sentence, the one you read, which directs the executors to destroy anything that's incomplete. So what did Albie mean, or what did the lawyers who drafted this on his behalf mean by that last sentence? Did they mean that the executors have complete discretion to decide whether something's complete or not? That's possible. Did it mean that the executors have the ability to decide that even though something is incomplete, it's got enough artistic merit to warrant publication, production as a play? Well, to me, that's, that's, not a, that's not a strained reading of the final sentence in the will either. In other words, I think this will's ambiguous, and where that will's ambiguous, it's going to give even more discretion to the executor, because I think the courts, while they might be willing to tolerate the destruction of, of valuable property uh, based on an instruction in a will, they're not going to do so when the only grounds for destruction is ambiguous language. And to me, this language as drafted comes pretty darn close to being ambiguous. Leora, I'm interested in, in sort of what you think is the, the, the right outcome to this this case. I mean, is there in your mind any reason, putting aside the, that ambiguity, that Edward Albee as an artist shouldn't be able to say whether or not he wants his incompleted works ever to see the light of day? So I think if you uh, – I'm not going to fight the hypothetical. Let's suppose that this uh, will were drafted in an unambiguous way and that everyone thought that Edward Albee, being of sound mind and sound body, wanted anything that he hadn't finished to be burned uh, and, and not published. In that case, I'd argue pretty strongly that the right thing for the executor to do, the right thing for the courts to do in the event that there was litigation between the executor and, um, and the heirs, uh, which is the foundation in this case, I think, would be to go ahead and follow Edward Albee's wishes. And part of the reason for that is that I think what makes an artist great is selectivity. Um, you know, a good musician, a good painter, a good playwright 
they're going to have lots and lots of ideas, and they uh, are going to you know, stick most of those ideas in a filing cabinet somewhere, or leave them on a hard drive, and they'll never see the light of day. And usually, that's to the economic benefit and the artistic benefit of the artist. Of course, there's some artists out there who are just producing canvas after canvas or play after play, and some of it's good, some of it's bad. But in my view, the artists that we really remember, the one who stand the history of time, they tend to publish only a small fraction of the raw creation that they come up with. And usually, uh, members of the public appreciate the fact that, well, if Albie put his name on it and decided that it was good enough for us to see, then, you know, by golly, we should we should buy Look, the, the tickets to go see that We could talk play. about this for so long. Thank you, Lior Strahilovitz, professor at the University of Chicago Law School. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.